0: Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 3, Episode 7, for Saturday, the 20th of February, 2021. Coming up this week, I've completed the spring clean of my vellum files. Hopefully, there'll be no more file mess ups from now on. My PR campaign went live this week, so I'll be bringing you up to date with a more traditional form of promotion, plus Amazon Ads Consultancy, website techie bits, and how much money I'll be saving with a handy discount code. We'll start as ever with my writing update and this week the final version of the Morecambe Bay 2 box set was submitted to Amazon. It always has to be submitted a couple of days early, it goes live on Monday the 22nd of February and that will be the end of, the conclusion of my current fiction releases which started with the first book in the and Bay Trilogy, which is uh, Trust Me Once, then we had uh, whatever the other one was, (laughs) and then the third one was Bound by Blood, then I released the six pack, then I released this three pack on Monday. So that has preserved a 28-day, if you want to call it this, a rapid release cycle. doesn't make any difference, to be honest with you. I don't think it makes any difference. I have stacked up pre-sales of all the books as I've gone along, which is nice. I think that's probably the only real benefit of rapid release, unless you really are doing rapid release consistently over time that's not something that I've chosen to keep up it's more than I want to do so for now that is it for my fiction books and if everything goes to plan if I hit all my deadlines and I start writing when I'm supposed to then the next fiction book will be Walker Bay a book seven, it'll be, and it'll come out in November, at the beginning of November, later this year. But but don't hold your breath. It's been such a disrupted year so far this year. Uh, I've actually got to get my ideas written down first. But I'm hoping to write those books. At the moment, I'm looking at May. Uh, what is it? May, June, July, August, September, October. So basically one book per two months over a six month period. That's what I've got penciled at the moment. And then the planning will take place over April and May. So that's um, a book coming out on Monday, which feels nice because I haven't sort of really been doing much writing. It feels nice to have a new product coming out. I've been rejected on BookBub again this week so they rejected my six pack of Morecambe Bay books and so again that's just par for the course and the moment I got the rejection email for that I submitted the 12 pack now interestingly I can't remember I think I might have got an email about it It probably popped up on social media too but BookBub shared a nine reasons a book was rejected for a BookBub featured deal article uh, today and I'll put that on this week's show notes to save you hunting for it but one of the reasons is that it's not listed wide you know they don't like them if they're not listed wide so when it when it comes round to that time again when I list my thrillers wide I'll give it uh, another go but at the moment it's a knockback and I'm expecting the same I'm going to keep submitting the things uh, just out of pick headedness but um, I expect the 12 pack to be knocked back as well. I contacted Kiss and Oliphant this week about our second consultancy session. If you recall, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about Facebook ads. I got lots of really useful little hints and tips there. Having gone through those, I've got one or two sub questions. Uh, for Kirsten in this next session and I want to focus mainly though on Amazon ads in this session interestingly Kirsten uses them slightly differently she doesn't use them directly for sales she uses them more for visibility so I want to hear all about that and I want to hear what she's doing and take a look at her, her sort of interface for Amazon ads and see what kind of uh, costs uh, she's got what kind of click rate she's got how she's finding her keywords and things like that it's really I've, I've gone through all the training I went through Mark Dawson's training. I've been through various people's training, read the books. Um, So I think I know what I'm doing, honestly, with with, with reasonable parameters. But as I've said to you, they never seem to scale up for me. And what I want to look at is whether I can get those scaled up, but also confirmation that I'm doing the right thing. And also any handy hints, uh, tips or tricks that Kirsten can share with me too at the moment I think she's been caught out by this weather in the US so uh, we've yet to fix that day but it'll be coming up in the next couple of weeks and I'll let you know how it went when that goes ahead I had my PR call this week if you recall I've purchased a traditional PR package it's going to cost something like 175 I'm not sure whether that's plus VAT or uh, minus or without VAT I'm not sure uh, so maximum it'll be is about 210 pounds And we had the uh, interview, was it the interview last week? I think I told you about the interview last week, or was it this week? I get completely confused, to be honest with you. Um, I had the interview anyway, I think it was last week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was last week. And um, the press release was written up, it came to me at the beginning of this week, I just gave it a look over to confirm that I was happy with everything, I didn't really change very much, just tiny, tiny little tweaks and uh, that's been distributed to a couple of the local radio stations so BBC Radio Cymru which is actually where I finished my career at the BBC that's on one side of Morecambe Bay and on the other side of Morecambe Bay is uh, what is it BBC Radio Lancashire they've sent it to all the newspapers uh, on either side of Morecambe Bay as well so we'll just see what comes from that to be honest with you I'm not massively interested in, in radio interviews. So, you know, I spent my life spent my life in radio. I know that they don't do an awful lot of good radio interviews uh, in terms of shifting books. I'm more interested in getting some features um, on websites, to be honest with you, not even in traditional magazines. I really just wanted websites um, to give me some SEO long tail, which basically uh, means I get to ride on the traffic of, of newspaper websites. And, and there's a lot of these local... Um, newspaper websites we've got something called Cumbria Crack and uh, Lanx Live it's called Lancashire Live and these websites get an awful lot of web traffic and a lot of readers and I'm hoping that I get published on a couple of those uh, because um, they announced the Bay season three this week so there's going to be another series of the Bay on TV in the UK Uh, it'll be it'll be next year so there's the incentive for me to get my books written because just as I have this year I'd like to have all my books ready and stacked up by the time everybody's got the buzz about series three of the Bayon TV coming out so that has if you want refocused my deadline that i really need to get those books out and published by the end of of this year so i can capitalize on that free tv publicity and again the purpose of that pr call was to have my name associated with the bay um online with some websites that can drive and command more web traffic than i can so that when people are searching for the bay hopefully my books will come up uh, certainly in a certain number of searches and people might get then led down the rabbit hole, oh, I like the Bay, I'll read these books. So that's really the the strategy with that. I, I don't expect it to change my world. It's just if you want a, you know, a multi-pronged uh, approach to getting the advertising right for those books. I think my focus this week has been on completing the Vellum file updates that I told you I was going to do. So I've now gone through all of my Vellum files. So that's non-fiction, sci-fi and thrillers i've made sure that i've got the correct files in vellum i duplicated everything so all the correct files were duplicated re -re i've got a new label convention on my files and they've all been dated 2021 so when i go into vellum to update the back matter or whatever i'm updating I know I've got the very latest file now, and those are the only files I've got. So I've put loads of stuff into an archive folder, so I can get it back if I need it. But every single book that I've got now, I have a 2021 version of the ebook, and I have a 2021 version of the paperback, and that's across all three genres. So it feels really nice to have that all tidied up now. And there were a lot of stray files in there, usually where I just had to produce something at speed. Now I need to go through the files once again because I just uh, need to go through some of the back matter particularly in the sci-fi books to update those and I noticed as I was going through my thriller files that I need to update the the back matter in my thriller files to reflect how many uh, books I've got in the Walker Bay uh, series now. So a little bit more updating to do and then I'm going to have to uh, re-upload all those files. I've got loads of files to re-upload to Amazon Kindle and to the uh, what is it? What used to be called Create Space, but the books part of KDP dashboard, and also those uh, final files, those corrected and updated files, have got to be uploaded to Ingram Spark. Now, I just wanted to illustrate something with Ingram Spark this week because if you listen regularly, you'll have heard my affiliate promotion that I have recorded for being a member of the Alliance of Independent Authors. And obviously, I get loads of value from the information and the free book downloads and all of that that you get with the Alliance of Independent Authors. There's loads of information there. And I've been a member. I actually uh, realized that I must have joined the Alliance of Independent Authors soon after they formed, I think, because I went to what I think is the only event that they held. They held a big a bookshop event in London. I've forgotten the name of the bookshop. It's a big one. You'll all be shouting out uh, at your speaker, I'm sure. I can't remember the name of it. I can't quite grasp it while I'm yakking. But um, we it was in a big bookstore. We were right on the top level. And it was a really big, I think it was the first indie author event that I went to. And that must have been soon after the Alliance of Independent Authors was formed. So I've been a member uh, for years. But um, on my little advert that I have on the podcast, I'm always saying to you actually. You know, the price of membership is very cheap, and if you use the free code inside the membership site that you get, and I'm not going to share that with you obviously, you have to be a member to get that code. But they give you a discount code for Ingram Spark, and I just wanted to illustrate to you the value of that to me. Now, as I say, the value of Joining the Alliance of Independent Authors is far beyond this discount code, but I just wanted to illustrate to you how I get amazing value f- f- just simply from that code before I get any other value from the Alliance of Independent Authors. Because as I've been revising these files, I've got to update, of course, the interiors of all my Ingram Spark files. Now, currently, I've got 22 paperbacks listed on Ingram Spark, and at $25 per uh, revision, uh, it, it's gonna. It would cost me five hundred and fifty dollars, just literally, to refresh those files this week if I didn't have that code. And I'm just about to upload my author platform book. That's that would be forty nine dollars for a new book. So, in fact, in the next seven days. Being a member of the Alliance of Independent Authors and getting access to that code is going to save me $599, which is about £425. Now, I know that not everybody has that number of books, but if you've only got two or three books and you refresh the interiors, you will make your money back on the Alliance of Independent Authors. So I know I keep banging on about it, but you know, 425 quid is a lot of money for me to be saving compared with whatever my membership is. I think it's about i'm an authorpreneur member now so it's slightly more than the normal membership but it's about it's about 100 pound i think so instantly i bank 325 pounds for being a member just by revising those files so i just wanted to illustrate that to you this week now as i say you know it's not about just making cost savings on ingram spark i want to hate i hasten to add that you know it's not the only reason i'm a member of uh, the alliance of independent authors but it is one huge benefit where in one fell swoop i kind of make my money back on membership so if you want to have a look at the alliance of independent authors if you haven't checked it out yet just go to net forward slash ally that's a-l-l-i uh, that's my affiliate link my promotional link to the alliance of independent authors and if you do have a number of paperbacks you know I would say probably about three four paperbacks you're going to be breaking even or making money on your membership just by getting that code which they renew every new year so uh, yeah well well recommended and then um just to finish off then my kind of writing news this week, uh, as I said, it's really been all about those vellum files and getting those right and chugging other little bits and pieces. But uh, I just finished off the website paulteague.net. I've just been you know finishing off the last bits and pieces in there. And one of the things that I did have to do is I had to change some image file sizes on that website. So in WordPress, you can upload quite large images and WordPress will allow you to make them smaller without actually editing them down to size uh, but it still has to load the large image um, to display it and I'd noticed as I was looking at the site that it was taking a while to to load the images now that's not a very good thing I just wanted to mention this is a geeky thing um, not only does Google uh, Sort of push you push you down the search engines if you don't have one of these SSL certificates now one of these little green padlocks or these little padlocks in the top left hand corner of your browser if you're not mobile optimized they will penalise you uh, but also you'll get penalised and this is this is becoming increasingly so with Google that uh, Google is increasingly looking at how fast it can load your website now. I used to sort of teach the basics of this to the corporates when I was doing corporate training and I would show people how they could work out what was slowing down their website now this is potentially one of the disadvantages of WordPress that if you get a very bloated WordPress site it can load very slowly when I was looking at my PaulTig.net site I, I noticed visually without using any technical tools that my images were displaying slowly so I knew that I had to go in there make them smaller and make them load faster or I would start to get uh, penalized over time by Google but the reason I'm telling you this really is to let you know that loading speeds are important and Google is increasingly penalizing websites that don't load fast now um, if you get one of these tools that tells you what all the problems are with your website uh it'll blow your mind some of the technical stuff will blow your mind and usually what i say to people particularly if they've got a a, a wordpress website is you know just get something that uh, like i think it's smush it or smush something like that um, something that uh, will will load your images faster because that's usually the biggest cause of problems on people's sites. Um, but I get my web hosting through SiteGround and SiteGround give me a plugin called SG, that's SiteGround's SG Optimizer, which um, enables me to, it just does all of this for you in the background. And I've got bespoke WordPress hosting now that doesn't mean I know that my sites don't load as fast as they could but you get to a point with this where you're on diminishing returns I mean I don't get a lot of website hits on my websites so if I were to spend I don't know a whole week trying to marginally speed up my website I'd have to argue with you that's not a very good use of time so what you're trying to do with this is you need to be mindful that your, your, your website isn't really, 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 really slow, um, but you need to understand that you could spend a lot of money, get into a, a sort of a rabbit warren of tech, and you'd only make marginal speed gains now there's a little tool online if I remember I'll pop it in, in the show notes this week but it's a, a Google website analyzer which will test your website and I used to say to people um, if it says you're in the red and it's going really slow you've got a bit of a problem um, if it says you're in the green you're doing amazingly and then if it's in the the amber of that then you need to just take a look at the list of things that it says and if it says things like images and things that are fairly obvious without getting geeky then maybe just get this I think it's smush it or smush something like that uh, uh, or you get something like SG optimizer or you maybe put your your WordPress site on uh, bespoke WordPress web hosting rather than general web hosting those things could often solve the biggest problems but what I always used to caution people against is you know you, you're never going to get 100% and you've got to then look at the amount of web traffic you do and the amount of money you make from your website and ask yourself you know is this time well spent just trying to inch that up an extra five percent so you, you're after a balance really of a reasonable load speed compared with the traffic you do now if you are a major retail website and you make all your money through your website you need to get that sort of thing right but as authors generally with very few hits on our websites we generally need to get it in perspective make sure it's going at a reasonable speed but not you know make sure it's not going too slow it's not too sluggish so it looks like it's on dial-up all the time okay and just to finish off this week it's going to be a short one this week less than half an hour by the time you listen to this on Saturday I will have completed 11 of my 14 runs in the February running running challenge so when I talk to you next week I think I'll have them all done that should be my February running challenge complete if I manage to get them all in so uh, making progress with the running still it's actually uh, getting quite hot out there when I run in the mornings beautiful sort of sunshine um, winter seemed to last for about a month here uh, it was a little bit cold we had the blowers on at night but not freezing just a little bit cold and I was wearing a light jumper which I bought from the supermarket never had to wear a jumper when we've been in Spain over Christmas before but it just got a little bit chilly and now it just seems to be back to normal it's lovely it's almost been shorts weather so when I'm running in the morning I'm actually coming back quite hot which is very nice to say so I've got no excuse for not finishing my runs You can check out the show notes and listen to the back catalogue episodes at paulteague.net forward slash podcast. If you want to record a question for me to answer on the show, please head for paulteague.net forward slash question. If you've heard something that's helpful to you in your author business and you'd like to support the show, then you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash paulteague. That's it for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you have a great week of writing. From me, Paul Teague. Bye-bye for now. Hello and welcome to Paul's Podcast Diary, Season 3, Episode 9 for Saturday the 6th of March 2021 and coming up this week we've been let off the leash in Spain, so this week I've been in Alicante and Benidorm since I last spoke to you. Consequently it's been a bit of a quiet week writing-wise, but as ever I do have several writing updates for you and I have received an interesting invitation from Amazon Prime Reading. Just to let you know why the sound is a little bit different this week. I'm in Benidorm at the moment, in our covered terrace, and I'm going to do a little bit of showbiz for you here. I'm going to open the window, we're 14 floors up, and allow you to hear the sounds of Benidorm at night. You're hanging out of a window at the moment, 14 floors up. It's quite scary when you look down, actually. It's virtually silent. If you listen very carefully, you might hear the sea, because we can see the sea from here, but it's completely... Dead at night. The Spanish authorities just freed things up a little bit during the week and that meant that we were able to travel from Torrevieja to Alicante. We stayed in Alicante overnight and went for a run on the beach in the morning, then we moved up to Benidorm. We're here till next, I think it's next Wednesday, next Tuesday or Wednesday, maybe next Tuesday, that sounds about right. Then we'll overnight in Alicante, and then we're back to Torovieca again. But this is the trip that we had to cancel a couple of weeks ago because they imposed those regulations, those restrictions. And uh, at the moment, as I say, you can still eat out. We've eaten out today. We've been drinking out uh, near the beach, just opposite the beach. But at 6 o'clock, everything closes right down. So there's not a curfew as such. The curfew starts at 10, but the restaurants all close down, the pubs. There's, there's nothing open at all here after six o'clock. I do have some big Spain news for you, but this is a writing podcast, so I'll leave that until the end of the podcast if you're interested to catch up with that. So let's get on with the writing news then, and we'll start with BookBubs, why not? I submitted Left 4 Dead for a BookBub, and if you recall, Left 4 Dead currently is in KDP Select. We know that BookBub don't like KDP Select. Uh, They only occasionally will give you one of their featured deals on one of those, so it was, as anticipated, rejected. Uh, I've had a whole load of rejections recently, and that's because obviously I'm in KDP Select. Though having said that, and this really adds insult to injury, if you cast your mind way back with the Secret Bunker, they offered me a BookBub featured deal on the Secret Bunker when it was listed wide, but they insisted that I put it in the horror category, and as you know, I moaned about being in the horror category because although Book One you know, at a push, could be in the horror category. The whole trilogy is not horror, it's very definitely sci fi. It goes into military sci fi zone as you go into books two and book three. So I don't really like it being in the horror category. However, I've submitted it. Dec- uh, so, well, I, I asked them, I, they offered me a deal, and I said, No, thanks very much. So I rejected a book deal. And now they're playing hard to get with me because The Secret Bunker is now listed wide again and I submitted it for a deal and I submitted it in the horror category, I didn't even put it in the sci-fi category, I put it in the horror category and they knocked me back. So they're getting their revenge on me now. Anyhow, you know, as ever, what I do with BookBub is as soon as I'm rejected I just put it in my diary and I keep submitting it and every now and then as you know, you get one. Uh, the other thing I've done, in terms of thrillers, I have submitted my Morecambe Bay 3 trilogy to BookBub this week. Haven't had a response back from that one yet. But because it's in KDP Select, I put money on that it will get knocked back. But that doesn't stop me going for it. So if you've are not, if you never done BookBubs before, if you're new to it, don't be uh, worried about it if you get knocked back. It's just par of the course. You, you generally got knocked back for about nine, and then you'll get maybe one in ten, something like that. But they're so... Lucrative, they do make so much money. Even like with the secret, not the secret bunker, with well the secret bunker and don't tell Meg, which have had several bookbubs. The money does go down over time, but it's always worth having. You always make a profit on them, even when they've quietened down. So bookbub featured deals are well worth trying for. I managed to get my second consultancy session in with Kirsten Oliphant this week, and we we only did an hour actually. We only only did an hour this week, and we were talking about Amazon ads. And just like the Facebook session that I had with Kiss, and it was incredibly useful, incredibly helpful. And she just went through, she looked at my ads, so I, was, I was very pleased to see actually, um, I organised my ads into the top performers. She interestingly mentioned a column which I didn't have active in my ads, so it was the orders column. And I didn't have that activated. So I was looking at ACOS, average cost of sale, which frankly, ACOS is like algebra to me. Um, you know, algebra age 12, when you're at secondary school and you're looking at this thing and you, you can't make a head or tail of it. That's what ACOS is like to me. It's this, this mystery figure that I'm supposed to understand and it's supposed to inform me about how my Amazon ads are doing. And to be honest with you, you know, that's, I don't really like ACOS. And a lot of people say don't work off ACOS. So I prefer to look at clicks. I always look at what those clicks are costing me. And then I was looking at the, the kind of sales, the income that I had. But uh, Kirsten mentioned orders. I don't think orders has been on my radar at all. And she, so I activated the orders column. And then that was very, very interesting to see how many orders, how many sales you got. And then she gave me a ratio which, uh, as, I'm, as I'm talking to you live now, and I can't edit this week because this is, this is being recorded on a, on a mobile phone, I can't actually remember what the ratio is. So I'll put it on the show notes. That's the easiest thing. If I remember, I'll put it on the show notes. But she showed me how to create a ratio with two of the numbers. And if that ratio was w- 1 in 10 or above or 10% or above, she said, then that's good. And she looked at a load of my ads and said, they're all really good ads. They're performing extremely well or they have performed extremely well in the past. So that in itself was worth the session. And she said that she, uh, Oh, she also talked about the, there's a new kind of ad in the US, you can't do it in the UK yet, but it's the sponsored brand ads. And uh, again, sometimes I walk straight past things for ages and I I just don't even see them even though they're there. I just assumed that they would be, or they weren't something that I could use. But uh, she talked about those and explained how she used those. And I've now got sponsored brand ads set up for my um, Walk Bay Thriller series, Don't Tell Meg, the Secret Munker, and The Grid, because those series work really nicely for those sponsored brand ads. And effectively, what you get is a really nice page with all of your book covers uh, at the top of it. like It's like a bespoke Amazon page, and you obviously use the normal uh, adverts that you use on Amazon, but instead of going to a single book, they go to these special pages. So um, as a consequence of that hour-long session with Kirsten, I sat down, I now have a load of adverts in Amazon and like you do, I've started with low bids, low starting bids, and I will creep them up until they start to uh, make some sales, start to get some traffic over them, and then I will monitor, monitor them. The, the other thing I did uh, when I was going through a lot of my old ads is I thought, well, I've missed a bit of a trick here. Because I'm very lazy, I have been very lazy with Amazon ads. I, I'm not, not a big fan of them. I'm hoping that what Kirsten has talked to me about is going to turn this around for me. But with the Amazon ads, I've, I've tended to bundle my non-fiction books together. So I have a single ad, and I would have my five-figure fiction formula, my create-and-sell digital products, and my start a podcast. Now, when you think about it, when you do that, I always do automated ads. I don't put my own keywords in. I don't put my own asins in. I I just use I let Amazon learn, the AI if you want, uh, learn, and then um, show those adverts to the correct readers. And I thought, well, I've done a stupid thing there, really, because you've got three non-fiction books. Each of those non-fiction books requires a different set of keywords to find its ideal audience. And all I'm doing is confusing the life out of Amazon, because Amazon, on the one hand, is trying to find people who want to read a podcast book, then people who want to create digital products, and then also people who are self-published authors. And in, in terms of, of an algorithm or an AI trying to figure out who to present those books to, it's completely confusing. So I, I think I'm, I missed a trick there. So what I've done is I've stripped out my nonfiction books and I've now created ads for them separately because I think that makes a lot more sense. Now it's early days yet, yeah? I've only just started to get the traffic over those adverts but I'll creep the bids up bit by bit you don't want to overbid but if you underbid you're not going to get any clicks and impressions so I'm in that process at the moment but I'll let you know how those Amazon ads go I really feel that I need to I don't need to do it at a big scale but I really feel that I ought to use Amazon ads because it's putting your books in front of millions of buyers if you're on the Amazon site and you see an Amazon advert you are a buyer you don't You tend not to go to Amazon to browse in the way that you do on Google you tend to go to Amazon with your credit card poised and ready so it makes a lot more sense to try and grapple with Amazon ads and make them work because if you think about it on Facebook it's it's remarkable that I've sold as many books as I have on Facebook because people don't go to Facebook to buy if they buy on Facebook that's a a byproduct of them going frankly to look at their friends' dinners and what Their cats are up to that. That's why you go to Facebook generally. You're going there for social reasons. You don't go to Facebook to buy. So the fact that so many people have bought my book on Facebook is is extraordinary, really, because that's not what they're there to do. On Amazon, that's precisely what they're there to do. And that's really why I want to just keep throwing myself back into the ring with these Amazon ads and try and make them do much better. So that, that was a really useful session with uh, with KISS and I got plenty of homework to, to go away with just there. I've also been looking at my Facebook ads this week. Now, uh, I, I made sure I did this before I had my second session with and because if there were any problems or queries that I had, I wanted to make sure that I brought them into the second session that we had. So I made sure that all the things that KISS had told me about Facebook ads I had put into practice before we spoke. And one of the things that I was doing is I created 90 day engaged audiences on my advert so if i just track you through it on facebook i have three facebook business pages and i don't use those to be sociable or you know to say what i'm up to or do any kind of writerly stuff on those those three facebook pages are solely for the intention of advertising So I have great thriller reads, which is for my thrillers, obviously. I have, I can't remember what the sci-fi one's called, I have a sci-fi page, and I have a non-fiction page, which is called uh, Stuff Made Simple. And I only use those for the adverts that I use online. So what I did this week with a little trick that Kirsten showed me with custom audiences, is I created a custom audience of Facebook users who have engaged with my thriller Facebook page in the last 90 days. So I created a custom audience and then I did two things with that custom audience. The first thing I did is I then created a lookalike audience, a 1% uh, size lookalike audience. Now, what a lookalike audience is, is Facebook takes a look at the, the people who've been engaged with my Facebook page for the last 90 days. It then tries to find other people with the same profile who behave just like them and then I could use that look-alike audience in my adverts. And what it allows me to do in very simple terms is it allows me to find more people who will buy my book. Um, But I don't have to target them by genre or by the books they read. So uh, effectively Facebook's AI finds me a lovely big audience to sell my books to. So I created a look-alike audience and then I sent my existing adverts to that look-alike audience and then the other thing I did with that audience... And remember, these are engaged people, people who've been on the Facebook page in the last 90 days. I then set up an exclusion clause or exclusion rule in my, Facebook, my existing Facebook ads, which basically said, show this ad to people who like whatever the authors are, whatever the genres are, you know, however I'd set the audience, but exclude people who visited the page in the last 90 days. Now, what that means is people who've already seen the advert won't see it again. So what I need to do with those adverts, I'm trying to get away from ad fatigue. If you keep seeing the same old advert in your feed and you're not, you've no intention of buying, that actually becomes annoying and people can then mark it as a, an advert that they don't want to see. So I don't want my audience, my target audience, to get ad fatigue. I don't want them to report my ad because that will then make it more expensive for me. So by setting up a rule on the four ads, I've got two ads in the US, two ads in the UK. I have uh, They have a, a UK and a US audience. So one of them is broad targets, and one of them is narrow targets. So the broad targets um, is looking for people by uh, psychological thriller readers, crime readers, Kindle readers, that sort of thing. And then the other audience is based upon the specific authors that they like. So Harlan Coburn, um, Linwood Barclay people like that people uh, who write books kind of like w- what I'm writing uh, but it means that they won't get that ad fatigue so uh, I'm giving those a try at the moment the lookalike audience is going through what it's what's called a learning phase so it doesn't quite get that audience right it has to do, you know do a bit of whatever AIs do uh, what they do overnight um, AI stuff and um, that it will learn, and then it will sort of set that lookalike audience. I, what I'm hoping, obviously, then, is that I could be getting clicks with a brand-new audience that Facebook has magicked for me and be paying about the same amount per click as I am on my targeted adverts. And then similarly, what I would hope, I hope that I'll get a little bit more engagement on my, my usual ads because I'm not sending those adverts to the same old people time and time again. But again, as ever, I, you know, it's all new for me. I'm just trying all the stuff that I learned with KISS, and, and I'll let you know how that goes in future weeks. Now this is one of these things like Fight Club that comes up next, because I, I got an email from the Prime Reading Program this week, and on the Prime Reading Program, at the end of the email, they always say, uh, you know, please don't talk about this deal. So it's a bit like Fight Club uh, is Prime Reading. And, uh, so I'm not supposed to talk about the Prime Reading Program, but I can give you an overview of it and not talk to you about you know, too many details. And, and Hopefully I won't be hit by an assassin's bullet uh, for revealing some of these details. But I was very pleased this week to, to be invited to put my 12-pack into the Prime Reading Program on Amazon.com. Now, I have been invited to the Prime Reading Program before, and I think, I can't remember what it was, it was Probably Don't Tell Meg, and it was Probably Don't Tell Meg when it was a brand new book and I'd had book bubs on it and I was selling a, a lot of copies of it. Uh, you know, Don't Tell Me is quite an old book now so when I do book bubs on it it doesn't sell as many copies but I'm um, pretty sure it was Don't Tell Meg that I put into the Prime Reading Program. And basically the Prime Reading Program they say to you, we'd like to put your book into .com, uk, India or whatever it is and they pay you a, a set fee for a period of of three months I think it is about yeah, three months. And you can still make sales and get the page read. So I can still, you know, flog that book on uh, Amazon and Facebook and I can still keep the proceeds from that for the next three months. But anything that sells directly through the Prime programme, I don't receive direct remuneration for. Instead they're gonna send me you know a certain number of dollars. And I'm assuming these are the things that I'm not supposed to talk about. So I'm just gonna give you you know, the kind of generic information about this. So I'm really pleased. I had a little think about it, and I just made sure that I wasn't signing up for something that I shouldn't be signing up for, but I had a think about it. And if you recall me saying in last week's podcast episode, I said to you that my 12-pack of thrillers has been built as a marketing machine. by a marketing machine, there are two prompts to sign up to my mailing list in order to get the Don't Tell Meg and the... Walker Bay Trilogy slide sets, uh, the locations of the book. So there's, there's two ways I encourage you to sign up to my mailing list. And then there are two cross-sales. At the end of the book, I say there's one standalone story that you haven't read yet, that's Now You See Her, and you could buy this for full price. And then, of course, what I've just added to the deal in the last couple of months is you now have a trilogy, a box set, of Walker Bay... Uh, stories uh, box set two or season two, whatever you want to call it, and so uh, when I sell that twelve pack, if people like the books, I stand to make a box set sale or three individual books, um, books four, five, six in the Walker Bay series, and now you see her, and that's worth about ten pounds to me. More, more than ten pounds, actually, it's worth about twelve pounds to me, uh, about fifteen, sixteen dollars uh, on full price books. So I make one sale of ninety nine pence or cents. And I can make another £15, £16, uh, sorry, what is it, £12 worth or $60 worth of sales. Plus potentially get somebody into my mailing list. So to have that book in Amazon.com and to have Amazon threshen the life out of that for me, although I only get a fixed fee for the sales that they make in the three months... I thought, I've got to do this because there are so many outlets there for me to make extra money. Now, I do keep the extra money on the other books that people buy once Amazon Prime has put it in their hands. So I have accepted that deal. And it's actually the the other downside to this is that I have to keep my books in KDP Select for that three-month period. And it's going to mean that they they just bump over. I think I was telling you last week, the 6th of May is when I can take my books out. Well, it's going to mean that I miss that 6th of May deadline. Now, just as I was saying to you last week, that actually I don't massively mind my books having a break from BookBub Book promos because they'll probably do better for people, uh, you know, forgetting them and not seeing them in BookBub Book more recently. So it's going to mean, what is it, 6th of May, June, July, August, it's going to mean probably I can't put those books into... List them wide, and then get another chance of getting a bookbub featured deal until about August. But again, that works okay because if you think that I'll have the next series, the Walker Bay series, if I get it written, uh, will be launching in November. That takes me to August. So August, September, October, November, they'll be out of KDP Select about November the sixth. So I will then launch. I'll be launching the the Walker Bay book. Blimey, what is it? Seven in the first week of November normally. So that's going to work, that, that'll work okay, I think. It'll just about work okay. So long as I get book bubs within that three-month window, that's obviously the proviso for it. So anyhow, I, I just felt that I wanted to thrash this book. Uh, I wanted Amazon to thrash this book for me on Amazon.com. And I'm always keen to just try new things. And, uh, well, I'll let you know. Again, as always, I'll update you on this podcast and let you know how that works out for me. Okay, so uh, what else have we got going on? Oh, the author platform blueprint. This is the nonfiction book that I've written since New Year. I have now uploaded that to Amazon. Saul- Sean Stevens at Flintlock Covers sent me the paperback cover for that book, so the paperback version has now been uploaded to Ingram Spark and to the Amazon KDP dashboard. And in actual fact, the I think that actually means I'm pretty sure of it. Uh, you don't seem to be able to stall or delay the paperback, so I think the paperback of that book's already available. It doesn't really matter much, to be honest with you. But the the ebook won't release until the twenty third of March. So Amazon, oh, sorry, your Amazon, your author platform blueprint, my first nonfiction book of the year, that's already primed and ready to go. Uh, it's on Ingram Spark right now. It's on Amazon uh, paperback right now, and it's on pre-sale with the Ebook. So that book's done, dusted, and ready to go. Just to mention it once again, I saved $49 using the Alliance of Independent Authors discount code. Um, That, that in one fell swoop, was about 50% of this year's membership fee, so just to upload that book, it was going to cost me $49, but I got it free because I used the Alliance of Independent Authors discount code. And even if you don't join the Alliance of Independent Authors, what I would recommend you do before you ever upload a book to Ingram Spark, there's usually a couple of discount codes flying around, even if not, I can tell you that the Alliance of Independent Authors always has a discount code that's current. Uh, but if you don't, for whatever reason, you don't want to join the Alliance of Independent Authors, always just do a little Google search for um, for what's it called Ingram Spark, Ingram Spark discount code, because you might find that somebody else has got one going in general circulation. It will save you an awful lot of money on the fees. I had a real tedious job to do this week. This is not the kind of work that I enjoy. This is the kind of work that you need to get a virtual assistant for. That I needed to go through all of my books with all this messing around I've been doing recently by putting my non-fiction and my sci-fi books, listing them wide again. I needed to go through all my pricing to make sure that everything was correctly aligned. Now the reason you have to do this is because you'll get a bulsy letter from Amazon if if you if you've got something priced differently uh, on another platform and Amazon discovers this, you'll get a bulsy. Uh, email telling you to adjust your price because Amazon always wants to have the most competitive price so it's not a thing that you should do you should always make sure your prices are in alignment with your Amazon prices so uh, of course we listed multiple territories i listed amazon.com uk europe india i think we have brazil mexico japan in the in the amazon dashboard so across all the other outlets that you list on, you've got to make sure that at least those prices are aligned in those territories. So I had to go through, uh, what is it, five four? No, yeah, five, uh, non-fiction products, which is basically the four standalone non-fiction books I've got, plus the box set. Then I had to go through, ooh, how many products have I got in sci-fi? Um, four, eight, nine. Nine different product formats in sci-fi so that's two trilogies the standalone books the box set and the seven pack and I had to make sure that all of the prices were aligned across draft the digital across uh, Google Books across Amazon and across Kobo so if you multiply all that up that's a lot of boring work to be done a lot of checking and messing around and boring work to be done and uh, every now and then you will set a price maybe in Google and Google, uh, you might put a you know a 99, 4.99 on it or something like that, and then you get to Amazon, and Amazon won't let you put that price, or it will say you've got to put a higher price. So there's there's a lot of a lot of messing around like that until you you get your prices right. Anyhow, long story short, it was very very boring work. I did it over a couple of days, but all my prices for the books that are listed wide are now aligned, and I'm not going to touch them for a little while. They can just sit there. I'm not going to play with it or do anything with it. And, of course, the next thing that comes up, at least, um, by the way, going into Amazon Prime, it postpones me having to do that across all my thrillers for a little while because when the thrillers go wide again, I'm going to have to go through all those thrillers. And how many products have I got in the thrillers now? It must be, we must be into the teens when you take into account all the box sets and the, you know, the permutations and the 12-pack and all that. That's a lot of messing around with prices. So I'm quite pleased that's been postponed for another three months with the thrillers. I got a nice uh, email from Pip Reed. Pip's a friend of the show, been listening for a long time. Pip deserves a medal for listening to so many episodes. And Pip says, I enjoyed your latest podcast, especially learning about your PR project and discussion with the local bookstore. Funnily enough, we've just been through the same process. It, it's interesting, actually, because uh, a, a lot of listeners who've been with this podcast for a long time, it's, it's, we, we're often doing things or moving our career on at about the same time this is why I got consultancy with Kirsten because she's always been slightly ahead of me and I've always wanted to hear what she has to say because I want to learn what she's doing, she's always ahead of me all the time Uh, you know she got those first five figure months before I did I'm there listening really carefully trying to figure out how she did it so I always feel like I'm a couple of steps behind Kirsten and also, a lot of people who listen to this podcast, as Pip has done, will, will email me and say, Oh, I've just done that. We've just, we've just succeeded with that, too. So Pip says she's just been through the same process. There's a bookstore near Seattle, and they contacted uh, Pip saying that they wanted to stock the activity books. Now, uh, Pip produces, and her team produce Bible Pathway Adventures. They're beautifully illustrated activity books for, uh, uh, for religious education. And they sell throughout the world. Uh, Pip does a really good job of this. They're beautifully illustrated, uh, amazing books, really well produced. And so what Pip was saying is she directed the bookshop to Ingram's Spark Outlets, just as I did, with the Carlisle bookshop. And they then went on to order 22 titles, which is three of each title that Pip's got. And she's got a nice photograph um, on the, of, of the sort of bookshelf with all her titles on it in the bookshelf. And she says, I can't tell you how satisfying it was to get that photo of the books in the book store." She said, that's seven years of hard work right there. And if you're in the first year of your indie author career, this stuff takes time. You know, it's taken me, uh, well, how five years. I'm just coming up to about five years, I think, of my writing. Is it five, maybe even six, since I actually started writing the stories? I think it was, I think I started writing the stories in 2014. I think the podcast, when did the podcast start? 2016? Something like that, anyway. I'll work it out, I've got it all written down somewhere. But it takes a long time. You know, the first thing is you've got to write the first book, and when you write the first book, you've got to work out how to sell it. And when you've written the first book, you've got to do the next book. And, it, and then you learn how to market them and how to list them on different channels. And you might try doing audiobooks or hardbacks or paperbacks, and you just have to learn all this stuff bit by bit by bit. So in Pip's case, seven years to get those books in a, you know, a free, a freestanding bookshop, nothing to do with Indies at all, and asking to order them—that's a brilliant achievement. Now, Pitt went on to say that she offers the standard fifty-five percent return and destroy option. Now, this is what put me off bookshops in the first place. When I first listed on Ingram Spark, and I—I I, I did it several years ago, and then I left it, and then I, I've come back to it more recently. But the first thing that shocked me was that if you're going to get bookshops to to stock your books and buy them, they expect you to have a 55% discount on the books, and they expect this thing called return and destroy, which is if they they decide to buy 10 of your books with a 55% discount, and say they don't sell 8 of them, they just destroy them and you get charged for them as as an author. Well, my view was I'm not exposing my business to that. You imagine if 10 bookshops did that. Now, subsequently, I've listened to other podcasts, and I think uh, the, the thinking these days is, is that bookshops run on such narrow margins, things, things are so tight these days, that they don't overorder. they wouldn't order a box of hundred of your books and then get 99 cents off to pulp, it doesn't work like that in bookshops nowadays, but I, I think it might have done in the past. Now, I was interested, I said to people, I was interested to hear that she does return and destroy because that's the one thing I won't do. I, I, when I price my books on Ingram Spark, I, I, I overprice them to allow the bookshops to get them at a reasonable price and still allow me to make a pound or a dollar. I don't make much on the books at all. Uh, this is why I say they're loss leaders. And this is why I don't get too excited about it. But I think I make about a pound, you know, a dollar on each paperback that I sell. But I price them on Ingram Spark so that by the time you've taken 55% off, I can take a pound or a dollar and they can still get the books at a price where they can make a profit on it. And another thing uh, about the books, I don't, uh, this is another lesson I learned very early on uh, from the Secret Bunker because, of course, the first books that I had, I just got lucky with this, is that the Secret Bunker have always stocked my books in their bookshop, in their sort of tourist bookshop. And what I noticed when I visited the Secret Bunker, is that they put quite a high price on those books because I didn't have a recommended retail price on the back of the books. And this is what I would recommend to you if you self-publish. Don't put a recommended retail price on the back of the books because you're shooting yourself in the foot then in terms of working out how you're going to create a margin. So I don't put any price on my books. I do whatever shenanigans I have to do to try and make a buck or two when I sell them through Ingram Spark. But I allow the bookshop to price them at whatever they think they can get from it. And that, in turn, allows the bookshop to make a decent profit on it. Now, so, you know, so again, at the moment, I might review this uh, at a future date, but I don't sell enough paperbacks for me to get too excited about that. I produce paperbacks more as a service to readers um, you know, rather than making money. I make money on e-books. That's where we all make our money because they're so profitable. So it's a, it's a service to the bookshops. So don't put your price on the cover um, you know, because otherwise you're going to get caught in this mathematical process of trying to give a 55% discount but allowing everybody to make a little bit of money along the way. Now I will not put my books on return and destroy uh, to, to me that goes against everything, every sort of principle I've got about entrepreneurialism you know, about entrepreneurship whatever the word is you know, the, I would, I'm not going to let you take £100 worth of my product and then decide that you want to scrap it and I pick the bill up that's an exposure I'm not happy to accept. So um, so I don't... I, I won't put Return and Destroy, but I was interested to hear that Pip had put Return and Destroy uh, on there. And uh, Pip, congratulations. It's lovely to see that uh, wooden bookshelf there in a lovely, busy, colourful bookshop. And there's all of Pip's amazing books on there, uh, you know, ordered as if Pip were a traditional publisher, even though she's a self-published uh, author or the company's self-publishing, and they just look as good, as as fantastic, as any other book in that bookshop. And that's what we're aiming for as self-published authors. Our book should never stand out as being different or worse produced than a traditional book. You shouldn't be able to tell the difference. And you, obviously, when you look at Pip's books, you can't tell the difference. They look amazing. And I can tell you this, Pip, because I used to use books just like that when I was a primary school teacher. You know, that, that shelf image that you sent me look would not look out of place in a primary school classroom. Those resource books look every bit as good and, frankly, better and more enticing than anything I ever used as a teacher. So that's great. Thank you very much for letting me know about that. I had said to you that I was going to set up a book funnel primo for my non-fiction books. And I did that at the weekend. I just thought, let's go on with it. And, uh, but I've cancelled it already, <laughs> would you believe me? Now There's a bit of a story to do with this. Now, I haven't used book funnel for ages. My view is that subscribers you get from book Funnel are not high quality, they're freebie seekers. I'm not a fan of freebie seekers, freebie seekers tend to give you poorer reviews, uh, lower reviews um, and you know they're, they're, they're the something for nothing brigade and if they, I don't think they take enough time to work out whether a book is for them or not and yet they're very fast to condemn a book if they get it for free and subsequently don't like it, almost like it's your fault. So I, I think if you put, my, my view is, you know, over five years or whatever it is I've done this, is that if there's a price on a book, even if it's 99 pence or cents, if they're paying for it, they at least take that, you know, couple of seconds to work out whether it's a book that they want or they don't want. Now, uh, I, I've been interested to hear that this has been confirmed. If you listen to the Six Figure Authors podcast, that's their view too. That you, uh, I heard Joanna Penn say, I'm sure I heard Joanna Pan saying it the other day too, that you take a hit when you have a perma-free book because people who get a book for free don't take the time and trouble to work out whether it's for them yet they're equally vociferous as somebody who paid £5 for it if they subsequently go on to find that they don't like it so why I'm telling you this is I don't really like freebie seekers Um, so I set up a a non-fiction giveaway on BookFunnel and it was non-fiction books for authors Uh, I thought that was... Probably a clever way to do it. So I listed five-figure fiction formula, a ten percent sample. I'm not going to give the whole thing away. And then at the end of the ten percent sample, you'd say if you're enjoying the book, buy the full book. And then I listed uh, author platform blueprints, which is a book I've got coming out on the twenty-third of March. Again, ten percent sample. And I was trying to work out. I'm allowed to as the host of a giveaway. I'm allowed to list um, three books. And I thought, why should do? Um, if you go to my use Vellum on a PC blog page, I have a sort of lead, lead bait where you can actually download a PDF of the article so that you can print it out and scribble on it and look at all the pictures all at once, like a, like a mini e ebook. And I, li- I decided to list that. I thought that's quite a compelling thing to have in a, an author's giveaway. So I listed my three books. Um, Book Funnel advertises it for you, and people are always looking for these books. I, I said very clearly, I want non-fiction books that are specifically of interest to authors. And then I gave a list of the sort of titles or topics that would be great for that giveaway. And so you wait and you check and you see who's submitting books. And this, <laughs> this brought back memories of doing it before, um, is that you get all sorts of people submitting all sorts of irrelevant stuff and you then have to go through it and say, no, um, I mean, I, what, that's, what are the examples? Here's an example for you. You know when you list on Amazon Kindle, and they give you those free crappy book covers, and you, when you see these on Amazon, you think, you ain't going to sell any copies of that book, because that's the free default covers. You haven't even taken the effort to, to get a proper book cover, even on Fiverr, for goodness sake, for $5. Well, somebody submitted a how to be great, effectively, how to be fantastic at self-publishing book, and it had one of those covers on it. And I thought, well, you've shot yourself in the foot before we even draw breath. Because you haven't used the proper cover. You, you, how can you tell people about self-publishing if you've got this crappy cover on from, from Amazon Kindle? So I thought, well, you're out straight away. Because that, that, to me, that reflects badly on me. If I list a book like that, that quite clearly you know, can't know anything about self-publishing if they're using those default covers. Um, I, I can't list that book, and it reflect well on me as the host of the giveaway. So we got a couple of decent books in there. They were specifically for authors, um, but they they weren't massively great quality and then I kept getting people listing books you know Pilates and all sorts of stuff and there was no no mention of authors they hadn't uh, customised their sales pitch on the book funnel page they'd done nothing at all to observe the instructions I think I got up to something like maybe eight decent titles I was after 30 and I thought I can't be bothered (laughs) I can't be bothered with this so I just pulled the plug on the thing because people don't read it And you've got all these chances trying to sneak books in there. It's like you know when I've done uh, thrillers in the past, when I've done uh, book fuddle giveaways for thrillers or sci-fi, and I and I now I always I say in the blurb, um, no pictures, no covers with guys without shirts on, and you still get the guys without shirts. um, You know, people. I think people are so desperate to try and get their books into, into readers' hands. That they just try everything and that's the impression i got from this book funnel primer this week you know people aren't reading it they just think oh that says non-fiction on it, i'll just put the book in and i just thought you know this is not going to reflect well on my brand uh, because i've made sure my books look the part and all have decent covers on and things like that so i, I just decided I, I i i decided to pull the plug in it and there is another reason why i decided to pull the plug in it and that's because i'm newly invigorated with amazon ads from Keir St. oliphant now from my session with Kirsten Oliphant, I'm looking at selling my non-fiction books via Amazon ads for full price, so that's 10 pounds ten well, $9.99 uh, if I sell the paperback, and you sell paperbacks in non-fiction, and it's $4.99, $5.99, £4.99 if I sell the e-book. There's a load of profit in those books, if I sell them at full price. So the reason that I pulled that and thought, do you know what, I could do better than this, uh, was because I'm newly invigorated with Amazon ads. It wasn't just a sort of, oh, I can't be bothered with this. I have got a different option. And it just kind of took me back to a a dark place of, you know, desperate new authors and freebie seekers on book funnel, so I'm not gonna do that. Uh, It just felt like, just too much rubbish being submitted you know it was it was it was rubbish like I couldn't list that in a giveaway that has my name on it and, and it helped my brand in any way and I just thought this is going to be a struggle to get to 30 decent books so I, I just pulled the plug in it nice and early you know before I had to disappoint a lot of people so that's a shame but I did try it again and I don't think I'll be going back there I'm, I'm going to try and sell the books at full price and, and not go into freebie land I think that's going to be my my revised strategy with that I was very pleased this week to find out that I'd sold a rack of the grid books on Overdrive. Now, I list my books on Overdrive in Drafter digital So my, my non-fiction books and my sci-fi books have just been relisted wide, of course, which means that I've put them all into Overdrive. And Overdrive is is allows your books to go into libraries. And I noticed that I'd, uh, I've started... I, I tell you what, I do like... I do like listing wide because although I don't make a lot of money on the other channels, it is nice to see money coming in from Kobo, from Google, and from draft to digital It's just nice to see money coming in, even though it's much lower than Amazon. It is nice to see money coming in from the other portals. And this week, I got one of these Amazon, not Amazon, draft digital emails that told me that I'd sold, uh, a, you know, an amount worth having on Overdrive, I thought, "Oh, that's libraries, that's interesting, so I went into the statistics and I found out that some very delightful librarian somewhere in the world has, thank you very much, bought the Grid 1, 2 and 3 and the box set for lending out on a library, so I think that is officially, well, it's the first one I've noticed the first time that somebody's actually bought those books on Overdrive, and when you sell books on Overdrive you sell them at a higher price uh, because the the, the library Sort of pays a, a, a say, a premium price for it, but they, they, I think they drafted digital usually recommends a price, but it's much higher than your list price if somebody bought it. and, and it's, it's worth having you know on, on four books. enough would have to make me notice and have a look at it. But it also pleases me because um, although libraries and traditional bookshops are never going to be my main sales outlet, that doesn't mean that I don't want to sell through them. I want to sell everywhere. And, and it's, a, it's a great thought to think that people can borrow my books from libraries, as, as it is an amazing thought to think that the local bookshop has got my, my books on the shelf somewhere, so it's not a priority for me because it takes a lot of work and brings very few results, but when these things start to happen of their own accord, of course I'm delighted about that, you know, of course I want my books in libraries, of course I want them in traditional bookshops, it's just that I make my money flogging them on Amazon. That's where all the money is. So I go where the money is, but I always want these other things to happen. So I, yeah, I'm very pleased about a good old Draft to Digital for making that option available for us. And when I'm talking about Draft to Digital, I just wanted to let you know that when you're listing your books on Draft to Digital, they give you a load of ticks, um, sort of tick points, uh, tick options when you're listing your book. And I just wanted to make sure that you always tick out the, the promo emails link when you list on draft the digital because this is how I instantly made sales when I relisted the books. There's a little checkbox there that says, um, send out an email every time I've got a new book under this author name, and draft the digital does that. So consequently, when I republished all the books and had a new book, it sent out a lovely email to people who'd got books before and said, Paul T, has got a new book out, and I subsequently made sales from that. So just as I always tell you when you're listing uh, to, to get your books, your brand new books, list them before they go live on BookBub, because BookBub will send that free email to your followers and you will make sales off it when you've got a list of followers, of course. Do the same with your books in draft digital because those emails that draft digital sends out on your behalf will always make sales. It's just a free helping hand that they give you. Uh, They're called uh, New Release Email Notifications. Always check that box when you list in draft to digital Okay, so that is it for writing news this week. I just wanted to let you know uh, where we are with Spain. I've kept quiet about this purposely for the last couple of weeks because things have been going on in the background. And if you recall, I think it was before Christmas, we were trying to get our... uh, uh, the basic thing that we had to do first, was to get this thing called a, a padron. And a, a padron, I mean, the closest thing I could liken it to in, in the United Kingdom is, is being like on the electoral register or being registered for council tax. It's just that they know you're there and where you're living. And so we knew that we had to get this padron sorted out, first of all, before we could even start residency. So we went through the, the pain of, of queuing for an hour and a half and uh, you know, having to get an appointment which was just deadly because there weren't very many appointments available. And I was in and out within five minutes and told, you know, dismissed promptly and told that my contract was in English and it needed to be in Spanish or Spanish and English. And at that point, I thought, well, I, I, if I'm going to get like a posh contract, that that's not really fair on the lady who's renting our house out because it might, uh, you know, give us as tenants rights that she doesn't want to give us. It's a holiday house, for goodness sake. She's just rented a holiday house out to us for four or five months. And I, I didn't want to, you know, make that imposition on her. But I can't remember what happened. we have given it up. We thought, OK, we're not going to be able to do this. That's a shame. We've fallen at the first hurdle. And I can't remember how, how I got chatting to her, but I, I just felt that she'd be receptive if I said to her, I think I just asked her the question. You don't happen to have the contract in Spanish, do you? And I got an amazing reply, which is, that's interesting that you say that. We've got um, somebody else who rents through this firm that they use has asked the same question. They're doing, trying to do what you're doing. So because she was receptive to it, I said, well, if I, if I pay to get this contract translated into Spanish, and of course, you can have that translation and use that in the future if anybody needs it. Are you, are you happy with that? And she was. So I went on to People Per Hour. I found a really well-rated, you know, professional uh, Spanish translator. Uh, I wanted somebody, you know, technical, not somebody who's just going to stick it into Google Translate. I wanted somebody who was going to properly translate it. And I paid them, I think it was about, just short of £100, I think it was, to translate the whole contract. Got it translated. The lady who were renting the house from in the UK, I emailed it to her. She signed and dated every sheet, so it was what's called a wet signature in pen. She sent it back to me in Spain. I signed it with a wet signature. And we went to get another Padron again, and this time, uh, well, we, we bring translators now because it's a lot easier, and we got the Padron. So when you've got the Padron, it's then worth uh, applying for the... The residency paperwork, and so we applied for the residency paperwork. And this time, I decided to just pay a firm of solicitors. And again, this was as a result we get loads of free newspapers in Torrevieja. We pick them up at the supermarket. I just happened to read an article from a I, th- I, I can't. They're not even based in Torrevieja. They're based somewhere else in Spain. And I just happened to read this article, and it was exactly about our situation, about living in Spain before. Uh, the UK left the EU and for people who wanted to get their residency rights uh, and, and, and so I emailed them and said can I pay for half an hour of consultancy and see whether we could we do this and the lady gave me all sorts of lovely replies to my questions, one of those being that we can stay beyond March without me paying tax we can stay till June without me paying tax here because they do it by they don't do it by the UK tax year which is April to April, they do it by a calendar year. Uh, so that was one of the objections to staying beyond March was, am I going to have to pay tax? Well, I'm not going to have to pay tax. So that's, that's great. So anyhow, um, we signed this over to this this firm of solicitors. I had to go through all sorts of contortions with paperwork and we, we bought this printer, as you know, I've been scanning documents and they've been saying, well, can you show me this and can you get me a bank statement that shows that balance and this, that and the other and everything's been scanned and rescanned and redone, and. We finally got there last week, where they said, right, that's ready. To, we're ready to submit these documents. And they submitted them, and there's, um, I think they've got about three months until they, they have to give you a response to this. And so we were just settling in, frankly. We were just sort of settling in, thinking, well, that's all right, we'll just wait a couple of weeks. And we got a response this week. When we were in Alicante, I got an email that said, oh, you've done it, you've got your, um, your residency documents. So we, we, we can now stay... In Spain. And just to explain what this means, it doesn't mean we're Spanish citizens. What it means is that we keep our rights, that the, the rights that we had before the United Kingdom left Europe, we preserve those rights, which means that I can stay here, or we can stay here now um, as long as we want. I, I could live here if I wanted to. Um, we've got kind of NIE numbers, uh, sort of tax numbers as well. Um, but similarly, we can go back to the UK. It's just as it was for. Uh, expats, if you want, uh, before the withdrawal agreement came into effect on January the 31st. Now, normally we would be on Schengen rules, which mean we, we can't stay more than three months in 180 days. But in this scenario, we could stay in Spain for a long winter, which is really what the whole point of it was. We could stay you know, four to six months for winter. And so long as I don't stay over 183 days, I won't have to pay tax out here which, as you know, I don't don't want to do as an autumno, which is where they charge you €300 a month whether you've made that money or not. So I want to avoid being an autumno. So it gives us the combination of things that we're after. And and basically, I mean, you know, we might never live in Spain, we might not come back to Spain again, but what it gives us is the option. Uh, It gives us the right to do that. So we've got one more step to do. We now have to go uh, to Alicante, to a police station there, where they they take your fingerprints, uh, I think they take a couple of photos, checks and probably, uh, you you know, your passport, the the live version of the passport rather than the scanned version. And then that's it, you get a little plastic card with your photograph on it, and that's you, you've got your residency rights in Spain. So we've just got to do that and then we're good to go. Now also last week, um, the last time I spoke to you about our plans to leave Spain, I said it was going to be end of March. Well, we decided to extend to the end of April. So we've extended the house to the end of April now because we figure that's about right. I've got this kind of FOMO about not missing out on the vaccine in the UK because they're vaccinating faster in the UK. I'm trying to think, right, as a 55-year-old, about when they're going to be calling me in for the vaccine. I think it's going to be about April May time. Um, So, you know, we want to get the vaccine as soon as we're back in the UK. We've also got the worry, of course, of them introducing quarantine hotels for Spain. So we're, we've got all these little permutations. I didn't want to leave Spain until we got the paperwork. But as soon as I got that little plastic card in my hand, as far as I'm concerned, we, we're kind of free to stay on as long as we want, but we can leave also as soon as we need to. So if, for instance, I got that plastic card in my hand, and all of a sudden they said, oh, in a week's time, you're going to have to quarantine for 10 days at a cost of £1,750 if, you live, if you're coming from Spain. I'm out of there like a shot before that happens. Uh, but so long as I got that plastic card, I keep my rights. So it's all—it's all kind of very complicated. It's all been, you know, quite an ordeal as a process. The paperwork, oh, the paperwork, is horrendous, and they just keep making you go back and see if you got this, if you got that, if you got your inside leg measurement from 1962. I wasn't born in 1962, but can we have it anyway? It's just like that. It's just ridiculous, and um, the—you know—the level of paperwork is ridiculous. But we jump through those hoops, and we now have the right to stay here so we're very very pleased about that we've a, a little bit shell-shocked to be honest with you but as soon as that plastic cards in my hand i'll know it's finally done i don't trust the system here it's too administrative until i'm holding the hand that card in my hand i won't go skip it off down the street just yet and then finally for this week uh, it's been quite a long one this week apologies for that we been nearly an hour i know some of you like them long and some of you like them short so it's a long one this week Um, I started my March running challenge this week. So, um, Monday was the 1st of March. I'm doing a great run challenge, which means I got 15 runs to do, 15 5K runs by the end of March. So, I've done three runs so far this week. And they've all been in different places. So, on Monday, I ran in Torrevieca. On Wednesday, I run along the beach in Alicante. And on, what's the day? Wednesday. Is that right? No, Thursday. And Thursday, I ran along the beach in Benidorm. And when I'm in Benidorm, I run every day. I don't care how tired I am. It's so nice out there. I like to run every day. So I'm going to hit that 15 run total, I think, fairly fast this month, simply because we're in Benidorm till next Tuesday. I'll be in Alicante on Wednesday, and I will run every day on those weeks. I'll be up about, what, seven? Seven or eight, maybe? Uh, by the next time I, I speak to you. So uh, I've no worries about hitting the running challenge for March uh, in this particular month, but it's so nice running along that sort of you know, sea line, that beach. Uh, I just can't resist it, and I, I don't want to miss any days uh, you know, because it's just so nice out there in the mornings. OK, that's it for this week. More news for you next week. Have a great week of writing, and I will speak to you soon.